Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. So the introductory video, our friend spoke very quickly. If you were attempting to take some notes, um, you may or may not have gotten all of them. You can also go to YouTube. You can also go to YouTube and watch it again and again if you are so inclined. But I, I wanted us just to get, I mean, that was the best introduction, um, even to the timeline, which is disputed. Um, there, are, um, there are those who believe in that timeline a little bit differently. Um, all the evidence offered. I agree with his timeline. Uh, there is um, there is a gap of time between. No, I don't want to start that now. Ezra chapter one, the book of Ezra chapter one. Anthony read our first four verses, and you saw the introduction. So the house that God is building, the house that God is building. We're building a church here. We've been doing it for about three and a half years. Uh, we're building a church. We're building God's church. We're excited about the gospel. We're loving people, sharing the gospel, building a church, building together. And I thought that, um, you know, we prayed, thought, and anticipated our opportunity to study through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah together uh, during this time. So what um, today, God is sovereignly, sovereignly building his Team, Oh, very nice. Look at that. God is, even at the last minute, God is sovereignly building his team. Uh, next slide. Uh, this is my definition of sovereignty. It is not an exhaustive definition of sovereignty. And you could be a lot more biblical um, or otherwise, but here we go. The sovereignty of God. God is in control of everything in the universe or universes plural, if you prefer. He is the sole creator and sustainer of the material world and everything in it. Everything that has ever happened in the course of eternity, it should say, God has caused or allowed. He is in control of people, nations, and everything that takes place therein. God is everything. Um, some of the men and I, we've been meeting on Sunday mornings, talking about uh, important theological beliefs that we have, and this was one of them that we have been studying, the sovereignty, uh, we are even using the word the providence of God um, in, in creation and in everything. But so, God is sovereignly in control of building his house. Um, next slide. So. What is God doing? Uh, a brief history. You saw that, but the Israelites have been in captivity um, for about 50 of the 70 years that God said that they would be in captivity. And I think it is important, and I will go to Jeremiah chapter 29 um, and read. I'll come and I'll read a verse that everyone likes to quote because it makes everybody feel all happy and warm inside. But this is not a happy and warm time for the nation of Israel. Um, I'll start in verse 4 and move around a little bit, but Jeremiah 29, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives, become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare. I love this verse. And I have used this verse often uh, for our, our, our gospel ministry here in the city of Baltimore. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will have welfare. God says to his own people, I want you to pray for the city that you're living in. You're living with people who conquered you. You're living in captivity, but I want you to seek the well-being of the city in which you are living in exile and captivity. Wow. God said, get jobs, raise crops, make babies, get husbands, get wives. For thus says the Lord of God, Oh, I'm going to jump down to verse 10. Some of the prophets of Israel, they were telling, uh, you know, if you were a prophet in the Old Testament, you had a tough job. You had to be right 100% of the time or they drop big rocks on you till you stop breathing. One of the main criteria for being a prophet is that you had to be right 100% of the time if you were God's prophet. Well, they had some who weren't. They were telling the people they weren't going to stay in exile. They were telling the people not to get married and have babies and get jobs. They were telling the people, oh, this is just going to be a couple weeks. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, by the way, in this one chapter, I highlighted everywhere it says, thus saith the Lord. It says it about, as my grandson would say, 30 hundred times in this one chapter. Verse 10, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. God made a promise to his children. Now we get to the verse that everybody likes so you can feel warm and happy inside. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, did the children of Israel recognize that it was going to be over 430 years more before Jesus came? No. Did they fully understand or did they understand that Jesus was coming? Well, they were certainly looking for their Messiah who had not come yet. That is how Jesus is going, that is how God is going to fulfill his promise to Israel ultimately. But God also says, you won't be in captivity here forever. So, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, Daniel chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar gets them all. They're in captivity. It starts. Well, then um, if you read your world history, the Medes and the Persians. So the Persians come and they take over Babylon. So naturally they get Israel and the Jews in with that. And here's where we are. We arrive in Ezra chapter 1. And this is what's going on. But God, it's, it is very important. God has made a promise to his people. And so number one, we will see. God is sovereign over nations and leaders. God is always sovereign over, God is sovereign over nations and leaders who do not believe in God. God is sovereign over nations and leaders who mock God, curse God, and don't even believe that he exists. God is still God. He is sovereign over nations and leaders. Ezra 1.1, he says, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah. 
What did the Lord do? He stirred up Cyrus's heart. If you listen to the wording, and it was read, and you did listen, if we listen to the wording carefully in these following verses, we understand that Cyrus is not, he gives God respect, but he's not a follower, a true follower of God. As a matter of fact, he's referring to God as probably one of the many gods to whom he would show respect. So they would have their own gods of the Medes and Persians, and some of the gods of the people they conquered, they would honor or give some respect to. Historically, and in those times, that's often what people did. Some leaders decided they were just gonna cover all the bases and give all the gods a little bit of respect and hope that it worked. But nonetheless, God stirred on the heart of a pagan, of a non-believing leader. God will do that. He's done it before. He does it here. I think it's very instructive for us, particularly for me, a point of Christian obedience here in which I have sinned and even sinned this past week, and I feel horrible when I do it. No, I don't. I feel horrible a few minutes afterwards. I enjoy it when I do it because I'm a sinner. Where, where I have leaders in my own state and in my own city and I don't honor them with a little bit of prayer and respect, I will drag them through the dirt like the people on the news do sometimes, not truly believing what the Word of God says here. God will move the pieces and the people where God wants them to be. God will allow things to occur, and then God will cause things to occur even in the hearts and lives of leaders who do not know Jesus. What does that mean for me as a follower of Jesus? That means if I really trust God and if I'm really living in obedience to Jesus, one, I'm going to obey Romans 13 that we already studied, right? And I'm going to pray for all my leaders and all those who are in authority over me. And secondly, even if I don't like a leader or like what's going on, um, I know and trust that God is sovereignly in control of what is going on in Baltimore City and in the state of Maryland, even if I do not like the way it looks today. God is aware of what's going on and he's allowing it to occur. God does not cause evil and God does not do evil, but God allows things to occur for his purposes that we may not yet understand. As a follower of Jesus, if I really trust him, I'll obey him. For me, that might mean keeping my mouth shut and not making sarcastic comments about how our city is governed. There is an appropriate way for me to participate in making my city a better place. And I should be, and I do, do some of those things. Participate in making our city a better place. That's what followers of Jesus ought to be doing. It starts with praying for our leaders. It starts with understanding the sovereignty of God that will allow me to relax and just trust God. Doesn't mean that I can't go to a protest downtown if I want to. We're supposed to. Our government and our, the, the laws and the rights in our country allow us to do those things. We can go to a protest and we can take a stand when there's evil going on in our city or in our country that we don't like and sometimes we're supposed to but there is a way to do these things well charlie you're really going around the block here well you know what uh charlie has sinned and <laughs> and maybe you don't sin like the pastor maybe you sin somewhere else i don't know 
but we live in some pretty dangerous times in our own city. I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. It's not fun. It's not fun thinking about ducking bullets on your way to school or work in the morning. That violence should not be taking place. And, and evil people need to turn their hearts to Jesus or have consequences for the things they are doing to cause evil in our city. We understand all those things. And we can speak righteously about what's going or rightly, righteously or rightly about what's going on. We can. But anyway, so God moves on Cyrus the king. Very appropriate for us to understand who, who Cyrus is for all the reasons we just talked about. So God moved on the heart of a pagan king to accomplish his will. Secondly, God allowed Cyrus to have the victories over other nations. Why are there wars and rumors of wars? Well, mostly because sin is in our world. And, and I want something that, that I don't have or I want something that you have. So I'm going to get it one way or another. Um, very overly simplified version of why are, there war, why are there wars in our world? Sin. Okay. But Cyrus believed... Cyrus believed that God was indeed powerful. So Cyrus decrees in verses 3 and 4, um, Cyrus's decree was God's decree. That was God. I think that's important. Where he talked about the fact who the Israelites are living in exile. Here, let's learn something here. Look at this. This is so cool. In verses 3 and 4, um, he says, Whoever there is among you, of all his people, may his, see how Cyrus is speaking, right? May his God be with him. Let him go, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 4, every survivor at whatever place he may live, or reside as an alien is the way it really says it, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, goods and cattle, together with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. The Jews were prospering, even living in captivity in Babylon, in, in well, Persia at this point, uh, it is called. They're, they were prospering. It says, let everyone, let everyone, and I know the Medes and the Persians, but the Jews also, um, support the work. So you're going to go and rebuild the temple. You're going to build the church. And everybody is going to help you do that. Cyrus says, everybody ante up. Y'all know what ante up is, right? I know none of y'all been down horseshoe gambling this weekend. But ante up, it means put up your bet. Give it up. Get some money out. Ante up. If we're all going to go in and go on a trip somewhere, right, as a group, and, and we're all going to pay our part, ante up. Is that old? Is that old people speak? I don't know. Ante up. Okay. Uh, next slide. So here we see in verses 5 and 6, God is also sovereign in calling his people to rebuild the temple. I love this. I love this. If there's ever a, a biblical, you know, a biblical calling for what I get to do as a missionary, this is it. God uh, called us to come to the city of Baltimore and start a church in order to share the gospel so that people could hear about the love of Jesus Christ. And so God is sovereignly calling his people to rebuild this temple. Listen to verses 5 and 6. I love this. Um, because this, this, this impacts your life and mine. The heads, first of all, we have the heads of the father's household of Judah and Benjamin. So these are the two southern tribes, right? 
Uh, we're not even talking about the other 10 tribes right now. Right now, this is, and I say Israel, but Judah and Benjamin are the two tribes. Basically, they're Israel, if you'll let me do that. So we have the heads of all the households, the priests and the Levites, and watch this. And even everyone whose spirit God stirred up to go and rebuild the house of the Lord. God called some people, some of the people, to pack their bags, get the family in the car, and get ready to go to Jerusalem to actually rebuild this temple. Now, this is huge. These guys, for over 50 years at this point, um, for I believe this time of captivity is from when it began to when the temple was finished. So, so up to this point, it's about 50 years have gone by, okay? They have not been able to worship God the way they're supposed to. They have not been able to make sacrifices. The priest has not had a temple in which he could go into the holy place and make the sin offerings on behalf of the people. The people, the people were just languishing. They were just, they, they were beside themselves. They were in exile. They didn't have a temple. They didn't have worship. They weren't celebrating their feasts. It would be like you and I not being allowed to go to church, living in a country where we couldn't worship God the way God tells us to worship him. We were prevented. They were, being, they were prevented from worshiping God for over 50 years. So this is huge. This is huge. This is big. Um, next slide, I think. So, yeah. So God started with the leaders, right? Um, God started with the leaders of the family, the heads of the families of Benjamin and Judah. He said, okay, uh, he got the fathers together, and then God called some to go and build. We just said, I just said that. He called some to go and build, but then he called others, or all of the rest, and I believe including these, but he called others to give, and then God called everyone in the captivity to participate as Baptists. And this is why um, I am a Baptist. This is called cooperation. And we have as Baptists, um, as Southern Baptists, a cooperative giving program. Uh, we're the largest Protestant organization and mission sending organization in the world. Um, we have almost 4,000 missionaries serving all over the world. Jaden, who was here last week, he is one of them now. He is in the Philippines. Jaden is gone. Um, he is an international missionary of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's one of, he is one of those. Um, Diane and I are North American Mission Board church planting missionaries. We are missionaries. We are here. And all of that is supported by giving that comes from 45, over 45,000 churches in North America and beyond, but 45,000 in North America, all give, the majority of whom give willingly to this one place, this one, you know, big pot of money, so that our representatives whom we send to do this send missionaries out all over the world. And we do it cooperatively. Guess what? As small as East Baltimore Graffiti Church is, we give to the cooperative program. Why? Because, um, because what we can't do alone, we can all do together. Now, watch this. We get more money than we send because we're a small mission church in the city just getting on our feet. 
There are other churches who give millions, literally, they do, millions of dollars a year to the cooperative program. And then, and then watch this, on top of that, on top of that, they come here to Baltimore and help us build our church and give us even more money. This is what God's doing here in Ezra. It's time to rebuild the church, and God is calling his people to come together and work in unity to build his temple. That's what we get to do. Um, so what we're doing here in, in this place, in this room, in this building, on this block, is very intentional. God is sovereign. God's in control. God's called his people. Watch this. If you're sitting here today, uh, if you're sitting here today, you're not here by accident for one. Even if you're a guest, you're not here by accident. But those of you who are going to join East Baltimore Graffiti Church, you're saying you feel led by God to join in the mission of this church. So not only are you called to be a follower of Jesus Christ, or are you called to live your life for him, but you are called, being called to serve him in the local church, because we know that's what we're supposed to be, all of us are supposed to be doing, and you're going to join East Baltimore Graffiti Church. You're cooperating with God's mission to build God's church, which, yes, we're building a building. Is the building God's church? No, the people are. Uh, before we had a building, we met in my living room. Then we met in the barber shop. Then we met in the rec center. Man, we've been all over the block. We met in the alley, in the courtyard. We've been all over the block. We are the church, followers of Jesus. Okay, this is what's going on here in Ezra. Next slide. God is sovereignly restoring worship. This is beautiful. I got ahead of myself because I already told you how much they had missed out on their worship for 50 years. Um, God is sovereignly restoring worship. There are a lot of good churches in our city. There are churches right now as we sit here proclaiming the gospel and love of Jesus Christ to people in their church, maybe some on social media and Facebook. Churches all over our city are full of people. Hopefully every one of those churches is telling people about Jesus. But God is going to sovereignly restore worship to his people who have been without it for 50 years. There are some things <clears throat> that God wanted the Israelites to understand. And I think there are some things that God would have us understand as well. One, rebuilding the temple was all about God. This church, this building that we're in, and look guys, it's, cra it's a crazy miracle of God. Our little, what we thought was going to be a two, three hundred thousand dollar project is turning out to be twice that. And God has sent knowledgeable people who know how to build stuff, and, and it's working, we're passing inspections. And God, and God has sent people who um, he has prospered in their businesses, and they have been led to give us money to continue our project. There are people who love Jesus all over this country, but particularly even all over Baltimore who want us to be here sharing the gospel in our community. But it's all about God. The building's gonna be wonderful and we're gonna use it for God's glory and we should be excited about that. And Lord have mercy, I hope we finish it soon. Um, God is sovereign, amen. Um, but it's all about God, guys, and that's what I have to realize. That's what I have to realize. This whole story is God's story. It's about God, it's not about Charlie. If I walk out here and got hit by a bus, oh, I didn't tell y'all, I did almost get hit this morning crossing University Boulevard. A woman come flying up there, never mind, I'll tell you the story later. Uh, I really did almost get hit, not by a bus, but by a speeding car. 
Um, but if I did and I was gone tomorrow, God's work would continue. You and others would continue God's work. I'm not necessary. I'm thrilled to be here, but I'm not necessary. It's all about God. That's not what I was thinking when that lady almost hit me this morning, but, and I'm not going to tell you what I was thinking. But So rebuilding the temple was all about God. Rebuilding the temple was all about worship. Rebuilding the temple was going to be all about worship. These guys were hungry to worship God the way they knew he wanted them to. They were hungry to worship God. When we come into this place and we worship, it's special. Every Sunday, worship is special. Morgan leads us in our worship. And Selena and Morgan and Erica and others, you all make sure that we have um, a worshipful environment. And it's beautiful and we love it. Every week, I look forward to our actual worship. When you give your money up here, you are worshiping. When we take communion together, we are worshiping. When somebody sets up the chairs and, and makes some coffee, we're worshiping. Rebuilding the temple was all about worship. Turning a hundred-year-old vacant building where all kinds of nefarious activities used to take place into a place that glorifies Jesus is part of our worship. I love this, what we get to do. Thirdly, rebuilding the temple was all about right relationship with God. It really was. These, um, the order of worship and the feasts and the sacrifices that they made um, during worship, this was all about the Israelites' relationship with God. So yes, go and rebuild the temple. Go back to your city, Jerusalem, and rebuild the city and rebuild the walls. But this is all about right relationship with God. This building will exist so people will hear the gospel, so people will repent of their sins and come to Jesus and spend eternity with Christ as a result of us being here. This simply gives us a here, here to be in order to exist. I don't even know if the grammar was good there. So... It was all about right relationship with God. Rebuilding the temple was also about obedience. Now, right obedience comes out of right relationship. We can try to obey outside of that, and we will fail. I've done it before. Even as a follower of Jesus, I think it's possible. You say, oh, pastor, what did you just say? Because I think there are times in my life where I really don't want to do the right thing. But my mind and my heart knows what the Word of God says, right? So I'll try to do it in the flesh instead of relying on the Lord, and I will fail. And I will sin some more. Rebuilding the temple was all about obedience. It was. God commanded the Israelites to worship Him a certain way. God commanded the Israelites to do some things or else they would experience His discipline. The whole reason they were in captivity was because of their disobedience to God. So they messed up relationship and God got their attention. God will discipline you and me as followers of Jesus too. The Bible tells us that. I didn't put the verse on the slide to make us all feel a little extra guilty there, but um, it should be there and I did not put it there. Um, God will discipline you and me and I believe the verse that says it even to the point of bringing us home with him if we're that hard-hearted about it. Um, yes. You and I can fall under the discipline of God, and it is not pleasant as followers of Jesus. I much rather, I much rather repent and humble myself. I much rather repent before I get to that point. And believe me, I'm not just, 
I'm not just speaking these words to you. I have been thinking about these things all week. Um, rebuilding the temple was also all about obedience. So it was about God. It was about worship. It was about relationship. And it's about obedience. So the Israelites are embarking on this journey. It's exciting. They've all loaded up their cars for this never-ending mission trip. They're going to go and rebuild their temple. They're excited. Now you already know, spoiler alert's already out. They're going to experience some opposition. They're going to have some difficult days. They're even going to like become complacent and not listen to God all the Oh my, do we ever? You don't do that. So, so but we're going, to, we're going to see all of this as we walk through the book, books of Ezra and Nehemiah. My friend said Nehemiah. Thought it was kind of cool. So as followers of Jesus, uh, yes, God is sovereignly working in your life and my life for his glory, for his purposes, for the gospel, even to the point of being here at East Baltimore Graffiti Church, serving God in this time, in this place, if God is calling you to do that. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, um, that is where Cyrus the king was. God even used him. But maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you want to have that conversation with your friend who is, or with me, or with Diane after the service, and we would love to tell you more about being in right relationship with God so that I can obey God out of a loving heart and not out of some legalistic thing that I can't do anyway. So the Israelites have embarked on this journey. Next week, you see all those names in chapter 2? I am not going to attempt to pronounce maybe not even one of them next week, and you will be glad. We're going to talk about why all those names are there, but now the journey is on. The journey is on. I didn't even talk about um, when I talked about that God was sovereignly restoring worship. God released millions of dollars worth of the tools with which they worshiped in verses 8 through 11. And they wanted those and needed those because God asked them to have all those things for a purpose. They were all parts of their worship. Cyrus even released all the stuff that Nebuchadnezzar stole and put in his pagan temples was restored back to the Israelites for worship of God in their new temple, which was pretty cool. But again, that was part of God sovereignly restoring worship at the end of Ezra chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And after we do, Morgan will come and lead us in some worship, and that will uh, conclude our service.